Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 136 of the Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi. With me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And we're back once again with the back half of our divisional draft recap shows with the AFC South. Only two teams had first round picks in the division this year. Only one of those landed in the top 25. Tony, how much do you think that lack of high picks kind of shaped what happened with what these teams did? Well, I, overall, I, I mean, shaped as far as I, I don't think Jacksonville, who had two first-round picks, were, were selecting based because teams like Indianapolis didn't have first-round choices. Uh, but, you know, Indianapolis didn't have a first-round choice, but they did get the Forrest Buckner. Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned here, a nice little segue into Jacksonville here, who had two first-round picks. At number nine overall, they drafted Florida cornerback C.J. Henderson. And at number 20 overall, they drafted LSU edge rusher Calevon Chason. And when you look at these two picks, I mean, obviously the Jaguars are trying to kind of bolster the defense here. They did lose a lot at corner, both with the Jalen Ramsey trade and A.J. Boye moving on as well. So they went from a defense that literally carried them to an AFC championship game to now it's kind of a lot of spare parts. Yannick Ngakwe is on the way out as well. So just a lot of moving pieces on the defense here. Henderson really replaces, you know, both Ramsey and Boye and Chason replaces Ngakwe when he eventually gets his way out. And Henderson, when we did our shows leading up to the draft, we both had him as number two on our corner boards behind Jeffrey Okuda. You know, good length, a guy who's going to be a really good man cover corner at the next level. People want to question the tackling. That's somewhat viable. You know, he has some concerns as far as, you know, missing tackles and coming up and stopping the run. But when you can cover like he can, I mean, he has the speed, he has the length to really lock down any receiver. Um, when you can cover like that, you're going to be a high draft pick, whether you can tackle or not. Chase on, on the other hand, Coming out of LSU, has had some injury issues in the past. 2019 was really his breakout season, but a very good player off the edge and a guy that hopefully is going to give Jacksonville's pass rush a nice boost. Yeah, I knew all along that if they didn't take Javon Kinlaw at number nine, which they didn't, it was going to be C.J. Henderson. My gut told me C.J. Henderson. People were telling me Kinlaw, which is the way I went in my mock draft, and I was wrong. Now, there are a lot of people who like Henderson. There was some talk before the draft in some quarters about people liking Henderson better than Akuda. Uh, that was absolute rubbish. Henderson's got a great upside. He's an explosive athlete. Needs to improve his tackling. Really needs to improve his ability to make plays with his back to the ball. But as we saw with the cornerback position this year, it was basically two guys, maybe three, and then it dropped off. So Jacksonville may, had to make sure that they got their cornerback uh, in the top 10 with the ninth selection because it really fell off after that. I've never been very high on Clavon Chazon. I've always had my concerns about him. Obviously, you know, Jacksonville has said they're going to go to more three, four fronts, which I think Chazon is a natural fit at outside linebacker in a three, four. He's a terrific athlete. He shows some outstanding force up the field as a pass rusher. The thing with Chazon is, you know, he's got to do it on a more consistent basis. And most importantly, he's got to stay healthy. Absolutely. And move on to the second day here where Jacksonville had another two selections. They drafted Colorado receiver LaVisca Chenault at number 42 overall and Ohio State defensive tackle Devon Hamilton at number 73. Chenault is a guy, I mean, 
just like Stephen Montez at Colorado, kind of up and down. And, and when you have an inconsistent quarterback, your wide receivers are going to be inconsistent as well. But Chenault's a guy you can manufacture touches for. You can get him the ball in reverses. You can line him up in the backfield. Colorado did that pretty often. Um, you know, he's over 220 pounds, solid athlete, even though he didn't test well at the combine, he was injured. That came out later on, and that's why he didn't do a lot of the testing. Decided to run the 40 injured, which might have hurt him a little bit. But in the end, he still goes in the top 45 here. Just another weapon that Jacksonville can hopefully use at all levels of the field. And then Hamilton, the guy we saw at the Senior Bowl, a little surprised that he went this early. I mean, he is a good, solid player. I like him, but I was expecting him to be more of maybe an early day three, fourth round type of pick. Uh, Tony, what do you think of these two selections? You know, which Chenault are you getting? Are you getting the Chenault from 2017 when he was in the narrative for the Heisman Trophy? If, if you're getting that guy, you know, you've hit a home run because there were a lot of people who thought that coming into the season, LaVisca Chenault could be a potential top 15 pick if he stayed healthy and basically uh, was able to be as productive in 2019 as he was in a sophomore, as a sophomore. That hasn't been the case. I mean, Chenault has never really replicated – uh, his production or his play from his sophomore season the past two years. He got hurt in the middle of 2018. It was all downhill, not only for him, but the quarterback you mentioned, Steven Montez. Uh, you know, there's a lot of risk in this pick. I, I think Chenault went much earlier than I had projected because of the injury factor, because of the fact it was such a deep uh, wide receiver uh, class. If he stays healthy and they can keep him on the field and they get him to build off his uh, 2017 campaign, they've got themselves a potential number one receiver at the top of round two. Davon Hamilton, I'm not surprised that he went this early. I had him as a third rounder. People in, in the scouting community really like him. I think as a nose tackle, he's going to be a real good fit. And when Jacksonville goes to uh, three-man fronts, not a playmaker, but very explosive, plays with great fundamentals and knee bend strong at the point, and a guy who is sort of a late bloomer and seems to have a good amount of upside at his position. Now, Jacksonville had a whopping eight picks on the third day, three of them in the fourth round. They went with St. John's, Minnesota offensive tackle Ben Barch, Michigan State cornerback Josiah Scott, and Miami linebacker Shaq Quarterman. Now, Barch is one of the guys we mentioned, Hamilton at the Senior Bowl, not really standing out in a big way, although he had a good performance. Barch stood out in a big way. Um, people were, you know, obviously questioning when you have a guy coming from that level of competition, whether he's going to be able to hold up in that setting. And, and Barf did more than that. I mean, he absolutely stood out in that setting. Former tight end, when he first came into college, moved to the offensive line. He's probably going to end up being guard on Jacksonville. That's where the Jaguars have him listed on the depth chart. More of a power run type of blocker than his own guy. He's not going to, you know, get out and around the edge or to the second level and show those kind of movement skills. But just a really good pick here. A guy that probably should have gone on the second day. Josiah Scott, he's small, but everything else he has. He's got good ball skills. He's a good cover guy. A guy that's really your ideal slot corner in the sense that he doesn't have the size to play on the outside, but he has a lot of other things that you look for in an effective NFL player. And finally, Shaq Waterman. Uh, this was a surprising pick, him going this early. Uh, he's a good football player. He's got good instincts, tackles well, but just not that great of an athlete. Um, not a guy that is probably going to translate too well to the NFL level in terms of being a potential starter. Can he back up for you? Yes. Can he play special teams? Absolutely. Well, uh, when you're taking a guy in the fourth round, you kind of expect a little more upside than you're going to get with Shaq Quarterman. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if LaVisca Chenault was a bit of a reach on my board, then Ben Barch was a real bargain in round four, because like you, I thought he should have been a third round choice. Maybe he'll play guard, but I know this, he can play tackle at the next level. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, 
he's going to have to get used to a bigger step up in competition than we saw him at the senior bowl. And he answered those questions brilliantly. A good athlete who is fundamentally sound, a high upside guy. I thought this was a brilliant pick uh, by the Jaguars. Josiah Scott, I had him more as a sixth round pick, fourth round. Okay. I mean, again, there's no problem with that. Like you said, he's a little bit of a smaller guy. He can play nickel. He can uh, play dime. You can use him as a return specialist. He's got terrific ball skills. Uh, he's a guy who makes plays with his back to the ball, gets his head back around and positions himself against receivers to defend passes more consistently than C.J. Henderson. Problem is he's short. I mean, if Josiah Scott was uh, three inches taller, he's a second-day pick. Now, there are a bunch of people who thought that Josiah Scott played better in 2018 than he did in 2019, and they were a bit surprised that he entered the draft. But still, he didn't play poorly last year. I, I, I mean, and he's, he's a good corner, a uh, cover corner. I agree with you on Shaq Quarterman. The fact that uh, Jacksonville is going to be going to more three, four looks makes this a little bit more palatable. Quarterman's a good football player. He's an explosive run defender. He's a tough guy who plays hard. I think he'll be someone that's good in that locker room. The thing is, he's a two-down defender. He struggles in pursuit. He struggles making plays in coverage. He's not going to get depth on his pass drops. If he's asked to cover the tight end down the field, you're going to see him doing a lot of face guarding, a lot of chasing down the, down the action, down the seam, I should say. But, you know, he's a thumper, and I like the intangibles. I would have preferred him in the fifth or sixth round. They took him in round four. And now speaking of the fifth and the sixth round here, Jacksonville had four picks in those rounds and one in the seventh. The fifth, they drafted Auburn safety Daniel Thomas and Texas wide receiver Colin Johnson in the sixth. Oregon State quarterback Jake Luton and Georgia Tech tight end Tyler Davis were the picks. And then Memphis cornerback Chris Claybrooks rounded out the Jaguars draft at number 223 overall in round seven. Now looking at Daniel Thomas, he's got size, he's got speed, he's got pretty good ball skills, but he's not the best cover guy in terms of you know what you might expect that athleticism to translate to. More of a strong safety type, definitely a guy who can play good special teams, but unlike the quarterman pick, there is some upside here with Daniel Thomas, as I also feel like there's some upside with Colin Johnson. I mean, you know, I understand the concerns about being a Big 12 receiver and the fact that he didn't test at the combine to confirm you know what people are questioning as far as his speed. Wasn't as good as Devin Duvernay this season, but he didn't go as high as Devin Duvernay. Uh, the ball skills that Colin shows are really, really good. You can use him in the red zone. You can use him on the sidelines. You know, I, I think for a fifth-round pick, that's a pretty solid selection. Jake Luton, good size. He's an accurate quarterback. He's not particularly athletic. He doesn't have a huge arm, so he's not a guy that, you know, is going to come with a lot of upside at the NFL level. But still, definitely a, a solid backup quarterback type. And, you know, they hit on Gardner Minshew with last year's sixth-round pick, so why not go back to the well and try to do it again with Luton? Yeah, I mean, Daniel Thomas is more of a straight line, strong safety type. As you said, he's more of a zone guy, doesn't show the great range. Despite his measurables, they're pretty stacked at, uh, at the strong safety position. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do with Daniel Thomas, whether he makes an active roster, whether he makes a practice squad. It could come down to special teams. Colin Johnson, I, I did not report this at the Combine, but Colin Johnson had what was explained to me as a quasi serious hip issue, which is why he did not run at the combine. He had a hip labrum or something to that extent. Uh, I was told after the fact that had Texas, uh, had the Texas pro day gone on as scheduled, Johnson probably would have run at the Texas at the uh, pro day. But I know that there was a hip issue that kept him or a hip labrum issue that kept him from running uh, at the combine. Uh, listen, uh, you know, go back to what I said about LaVisca Chenault. 
And the same kind of applies to Colin Johnson, not so much with the injuries, but which Colin Johnson are you going to get? Which Colin Johnson are the Jacksonville Jaguars going to get? Are they going to get the guy in 2018 who was unstoppable? The guy who, after the season, scouts graded as one of the top senior pro, uh, receiver prospects in the nation, the, 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 the receiver that scouts graded as a top 45 pick? Or are they going to get a guy who, the guy from 2019 who played soft, who did not live up to expectations, and, and who was a real disappointment? Fifth round is good because potentially very good value for Colin Johnson. You know, he, like you said, the knocks that on Colin Johnson, are the same knocks as we saw on Hakeem Butler and, and Alan Lazard, you know, a big body receiver from the big 12 who just physically beats down opponents. I think Colin Johnson's a little bit better than that. Still, I thought this is potentially where they select him an outstanding selection. Jake Luton, you know, if you could mold the physical skills of Jake Luton, and combine them with the moxie and confidence of Gardner Minshew, you got yourself a starting quarterback. We'll have to see what happens. Jake Luton was a guy who was a bit of a late riser, was not graded by scouts coming into the season. Uh, he's got a big-time arm. He's got to brush up some of his fundamentals. But, but, again, I think this is a solid selection, and if he doesn't make an active roster, I could absolutely see uh, Luton uh, making a practice squad. Tyler Davis, I had him graded. I tried to watch the film on him, and it was tough to watch, which is why I did not do a scouting report on him. You know, he's got decent size. He runs in the four eights. I think playing tight end in that Georgia Tech system kind of hurt him. But there was nothing on film that I saw from Tyler Davis, and I went back and watched Tyler Davis that made me think he was going to be a draftable player. I didn't even do a scouting report on him. Uh, Chris Claybrooks was a guy. His name was making rounds uh, late, in the, uh, late in the process. Another guy that I went back and watched, uh, the Jaguars drafted him, I believe, primarily as for his return skills. His cornerback play is average. His, his production at, uh, on defense uh, was minimal. But he is a big play return specialist, which is why I think Jacksonville took a, a crack at him with, with their uh, final selection. A couple of UDFAs of note for the Jaguars. James Robinson out of Illinois State, the running back, kind of a bowling ball type of guy. He's short, but he is stocky. He's also explosive, did really well in the jumps at the combine. Instincts aren't quite there. The speed is not there either. He's not a guy that's going to make big plays. He's not a huge threat as a receiver, but definitely a guy who could, you know, contribute in goal line packages and, and things like that if he were to make the roster. Uh, J.R. Reed, the safety out of Georgia. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, scouts probably had a lot higher than, you know, an undrafted free agent. I think, Tony, you had a sixth-round grade on him. You know, his size is pretty average. His speed's pretty average. But he can play the run. He can play the pass. He's going to be useful on special teams as well. So I would say if there's any UDFA that the Jags picked up here after the draft that can make the roster and that is even likely to, I would go with J.R. Reed just based on what we've seen from him at Georgia through the past couple of years. You know, J.R. Reed is actually a better defensive back and a better football player than Daniel Thomas. He's just not the athlete of Daniel Thomas. But really, if you're looking for a guy to play between the numbers, to play a strong safety position, to play as a zone safety, J.R. Reed can do the job for you. And you're right, he doesn't have the great speed, but he ran much faster at the combine than I think anybody expected. Off the top of my head, I think he was like a 4-5-2 guy, uh, which was surprising. James Robinson, as you said, from Illinois, was a guy who a lot of people thought um, uh, could get drafted late. They got they signed two guys, one that I think was very overrated, Luke Barku of San Diego State, who had uh, you know stats this year that were just off the charts. 
But when I watched him at the uh, Shrine game, he was awful. I mean, he was small. He was slow. He's a guy – I don't know. You could have to play him as a zone cornerback. You know, which – is Luke Barco a guy who's a good football player or is he just an opportunist? From what I've watched on film and what I saw at the Shrine game, he's more of an opportunist uh, who basically get a lot of people all excited than he is a real good football player. Amari Henderson of Wake Forest is is an interesting guy, someone who wasn't graded by scouts coming into the year, though I had a grade on him. Uh, you go back to a sophomore film, he had outstanding production. He's a tall guy. He goes about 6'1". He's got decent speed, solid cover skills. So I think Amari Henderson of Wake Forest, uh, you know, surprise ninth defensive back on the active roster if he plays well during summer camp, whenever summer camp may start. I think at the very least you're looking at a practice squad guy. And we'll be back shortly to look at the remaining draft halls in this division after this word from our sponsor. Every week gets us just a little closer to live sports, but there are still options in the meantime for those looking to wager. While you're waiting this out at home with us, hopefully not much longer, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag with no NBA, NHL, or MLB you might think there's nothing to bet on, but Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done. There's still esports, and then shows like American Idol, Big Brother, the elections are coming up, and of course, Bet Online's $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, there's still fun to be had, hopefully sooner rather than later. So go to betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And we'll move on here to the Tennessee Titans, the other team in this division that did have a first-round pick in this year's draft. And they used that pick on Isaiah Wilson, the offensive tackle out of Georgia. They lost Jack Conklin in free agency to Cleveland this offseason, and Wilson is going to step right in and take over what Conklin did at right tackle. I mean, Wilson is a pure power right tackle. They're not planning to move him to the left side. There was no way he was going to be a player that could potentially move to the left side like some of the other tackles in this class. But Wilson's a guy who really kind of got lost in the shuffle a bit considering all those other tackles that I did mention he should be a nice little like for like replacement for Jack Conklin and really help keep that running game going with Derrick Henry. Yeah. They wanted to trade out of round one and all along. I knew that if they weren't able to trade out of round one and Isaiah Wilson was going to be there, he was their guy. He is a sensational right tackle. He is solely a right tackle, as you said, but he is someone who really caught my eye the past two years. And, you know, any Titan fans that are listening to this, go back and watch the Notre Dame game, which was a Saturday night game in Notre Dame, where the first half of the game, Notre Dame basically controlled the uh, Georgia offense because Wilson was out of the game, was on the sidelines with a sore ankle. And it was like a sieve on that right side, the amount of pressure they were getting. Wilson is a tough guy. He gets off up off the bench the second half of the game. He gets his rear end on the field, and boom, that game changed on a dime when Wilson stepped on the field. You know, you can talk about the players of the game, DeAndre Swift, whoever. Isaiah Wilson, when you watch that game, he was the difference. When he got off the bench in that second half and lined up at right tackle, he's not the f- most fleet-footed guy. He's not a guy that you're going to use in his own blocking system, uh, but he's a guy who could – actually in time be an improvement over Jack Conklin in my opinion 
Now, it's rare that, you know, you talk about an offensive lineman making that kind of impact on a game just by stepping on the field. So that, that does say a lot about Isaiah Wilson. Now, Tennessee had two picks on the second day. They drafted LSU cornerback Christian Fulton in the second round and Appalachian State running back Darrington Evans in the third round. Now, Fulton is a guy, he's got good size, he's got good speed, but he's not really elite in either category. So if you have, you know, a pure size receiver, like we mentioned earlier with maybe a Colin Johnson or a pure speed receiver, um, you know, like some of the other guys in this draft and in the league, he might have a little trouble with those guys, but he's still a very good player. Those reasons are just probably why he fell into the late second round. But I think that was nice value. And especially compared to some of the cornerbacks that went 30 to 40 picks ahead of him. Evans, you know, an explosive playmaker timed in the low four fours at the combine. He plays to that on film. You know, the vision isn't always there. He does need to brush up on that and, and work on his instincts a little bit. Kind of a work in progress as a receiver. Can make big plays when he catches the ball out of the backfield, but not the most natural guy, but still kind of the perfect fit for a guy like Derrick Henry, who's the bruiser on the inside. Then you bring Evans in and you get him some holes and he can just take plays to the house. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one-two punch that the Titans have now here in the backfield that they used to have with Henry and Deion Lewis when Lewis was uh, more in his prime. Yeah, you know, Christian Fulton did not play as well in 2019 as compared to 2018, kind of the way Colin Johnson did not play as well. Fulton was great as a potential first-round pick, you know, coming into the season. And there was talk he could end up in the first round. Uh, the, the disappointing play, plus there were some character issues that raised some red flags, I think pushed him into round two, even though I had him as a first-rounder uh, in my mock draft. Listen, he's got to get back to where he was in 2018. If he does, uh, Fulton is a guy that will eventually break into a starting lineup uh, for uh, Tennessee. I, I think that Mike Vrabel is going to have a field day using him in nickel and dime packages. Expect a lot of things from uh, 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 from Fulton. Evans, Darrington Evans was an excellent selection. I mean, they uh, franchised Derrick Henry this year. You don't know what's going to happen with him in the future. There are a lot of people who like Darrington Evans. He, he's explosive. He's fast. He's tough. He's strong. Not a great perimeter runner because he doesn't have that great agility, but he can grind it out on the inside. And if there's any space, he's going to pick up big chunks of yardage uh, from the line of scrimmage. So I think that uh, this is a pick not only for 2020, but beyond to, but uh, 2020 and beyond as well. Now, no fourth round picks for Tennessee. They did have one pick in the fifth round and used it on NC State defensive tackle Lorel Murchison. They had two selections in the seventh round that went to Hawaii quarterback Cole McDonald and Marshall defensive back Chris Jackson. Now, Murchison is a guy, another guy we saw at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile in January. He's just 297 pounds. He does have the ability to occupy gaps, though. He does have a good first step off the line. He's pretty explosive. You know, his, his Senior Bowl, just like his 2019 season, was a bit inconsistent. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about guys, you know, oh, if they get back to where they were before the season, if Murchison can do that, you know, this is going to be a real steal in round five. Even if he can't, it's still a solid pick in terms of value. Cole McDonald, good size. He's a good athlete, uh, just enough arm to make all the throws, but he's streaky. You know, his his accuracy comes and goes. It wanes a little bit. His pass placement, you could say the same for him, but you no, know, definitely a project that, a traits-based project that's worth taking a flyer on in the seventh round as a potential backup in the long term. And Chris Jackson, you know, he's a physical corner. He's got good ball skills, uh, you know, average size and speed. Didn't play as well in 2019. Again, there's that theme again. But another guy in the seventh round that, you know, you're taking a guy, when you have corners, you know, you want athleticism for sure. But at the same time, if you're physical with opposing receivers and you get them off their routes and you can make plays on the ball, if they can't separate, 
from him and he's making plays on the ball, that's going to make you a pretty effective player. Yeah, I, I mean, I had Jackson as a middle round pick coming into the season, but his Marshall, his film from Marshall last year just really didn't impress me. I, I mean, he was late reacting. He seemed kind of laid back and playing back on his heels. Uh, worth a flyer in the seventh round? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him. Cole McDonald, I, I would just never was very high on Cole McDonald. I had him as a free agent. You know, you talk about the fact that, uh, you know, his accuracy can be all over the place. He doesn't hit receivers in stride. He plays in that wide open system in Hawaii, which really, when you're missing receivers or you're having receivers leave their feet or just backwards and that sort of system, that's a red flag to me. I think at best he's a practice squad prospect. Laura Merchantson, I mean, you said it, uh, it's sort of like uh, Christian Fulton. Laura Merchantson was great as a potential second day pick by scouts coming into the season. He's basically, he's very streaky. He's hot and cold. He'll make some incredible plays and then he disappears for long stretches. So, you know, Merchantson, like a lot of the other guys we talked about, whether it be Colin Johnson, whether it be Christian Fulton, LaVisca Chanel for different reasons, which Merchantson are you getting? I mean, if they get the guy who really showed dominance during 2017, 2018, it was impossible to stop. They got themselves as a hell of a pick in round five. Otherwise, you can see a guy, I could see, if he doesn't live up to expectations, I could see Vrabel cutting him immediately. Now, taking a look at some of the undrafted free agents here, Tennessee did decline Corey Davis's fifth-year option, the first-round pick from several years ago. But they hit last year with A.J. Brown. They still need some help at the receiver position, though. And they decided to get that with friend of the show, Mason Kinsey, guy who really put himself on the radar with a great shrine week. You know, very good quickness, excellent route runner, but he's small. He doesn't have that you know, speed that you might expect from a smaller guy that you would want in terms of making him a draftable prospect. But this is a guy who's always worked for everything he's gotten. And I think he's going to continue to do that. Definitely has a chance to make the roster at the very least. He's a guy worth stashing on the practice squad as a potential future slot receiver. Nick Westbrook out of Indiana, when he was a sophomore in 2016, he had almost a thousand yards receiving towards ACL the following season. Hasn't quite produced at the same level since then, more of a contested catch wide receiver who struggles to separate a bit. But again, a guy that if you can get him back to prior levels pre-injury, which might be easier said than done, you know, you might have a find on your hands after the draft. You know, it's a shame that there's no mini camps and that uh, no rookie mini camp, regular, uh, regular mini camp, because I think Mason Kinsey really would have benefited from that and that he was the, would have been the type of player that really grew on coaches and the type of player that coaches say, you know what, we got to keep this guy on our active roster. Maybe that still works out for Mason Kinsey. I think he's probably ends up more as a practice squad player, but you know, I, I saw him at the shrine game and, and I wrote about him every single day uh, because he was so fantastic at the shrine game. We had him on this podcast, as you mentioned, and I would, you know, suggest that Titan fans go back and uh, listen to that podcast because you're going to fall in love with the guy. Very explosive, terrific uh, receiver, just comes up short or a little bit shy in the, in the uh, size speed uh, department. Short is, <laughs> would be a good way to describe it. But still, you know, he's going to grow on the coaches. And, and I think he's one of those guys who just is – would have benefited from a rookie minicamp and a regular minicamp because the coaching staff would have fallen in love with him. I like this, the signing of Cameron Scarlett, especially with the fact that that number three running back position could be up uh, for grabs uh, on the depth chart. Scarlett is a bit like Mason Kinsey in that he's not a great athlete, but he's a tremendous football player. His film was outstanding. The problem is he's got limited speed and quickness, so he's not going to pick up big chunks of yardage from the line of scrimmage. He's not going to beat defenders into the open field. Uh, but he's a guy that I think will compete 
uh, for that uh, third running back spot. Two uh, linemen. I like Anthony McKinney. I think he's a guy that could potentially back up at either left or right tackle. Very underrated. Everybody uh, talked about Lucas Nyang at TCU. If you watch the film the past two years, Anthony McKinney was also a force. And Tier Tart, uh, who I think I think he's more, more of a, a uh, defensive lineman. I think he, from uh, Florida Atlantic, I think he's more of a uh, three-technique tackle uh, versus a uh, – uh, a, a guy who's going to play in a three-man front, uh, but he's got a good amount of upside. Florida International, I apologize, but he's got a good amount of upside. He's very explosive. It'll be interesting to see how uh, uh, the Titans use him. I think if they play their linebacker up on the line of scrimmage and they use Tier Tart as a one-gap defensive lineman, uh, he'll have a good chance. Now we'll break down the Colts and Texans draft in just a moment after this quick break. And we're back here to take a look at what Indianapolis was able to do. As Tony mentioned earlier in the show, did not have a first-round pick this year because they traded it for DeForest Buckner. They did have two second-round picks, though, and they used them at the skill spots. USC wide receiver Michael Pittman at number 34 and Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor at number 41. Um, yeah, Pittman is a guy who tested out better than I think a lot of people expected for a man of his size. I think he ran a 4.52 in the 40. His other numbers were pretty good as well. You know, he's not – an elite athlete by any means, but even being an average athlete at his size really is going to help. I mean, he wins in contested situations. He did show the ability on tape to get behind the defense. And again, confirm that with that four five, two speed, in addition to using his size to separate, you can get him the ball in the short field. He'll make some plays too. He can win at every level really would be an interesting compliment to T Y Hilton in Indy. Speaking of compliments, I mean, Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack are going to provide, you know, an interesting, I think the coaches uh, in Indianapolis called it a one, one punch recently. Um, you know, they're going to use both backs, but I mean, Jonathan Taylor, people were a little bit concerned, not only with, you know, his receiving capabilities coming into the draft, but, you know, also the fact that he has a lot of tread on the tires, that's going to be helped a little bit because his workload will be a little bit smaller this year with Max still on the roster, but People were also concerned that the Wisconsin offensive line just opened up big holes for him. Well, Indianapolis has one of the best offensive lines in the league. So Taylor's probably going to come right in and he's going to hit the ground running quite literally. You know, a guy that can really take it to the house with his top end speed. Not a perimeter guy, as Tony said, with Thyrington Evans. Doesn't have the level of agility to really turn the corner like that. But he is fast once you give him a hole. He's got good vision. He's improving as a receiver. I think these two picks for the Colts are really going to help them out on the offensive side of the ball. Well, I mean, the Colts draft really has to start with DeForest Buckner, even though he wasn't selected. They traded that 13th pick for him. The player that they were going to get at number three, and then they signed him to a, a decent-sized long-term contract. The player that they were going to get at 13 was not the type of player that DeForest Buckner is, and he fills a need because they needed a pass rush from their defensive line, and that's what DeForest Buckner brings. Michael Pittner at the top of round two. I had mentioned all along in the week leading up to the draft, he was getting first-round consideration. I heard Minnesota was considering him. They took Justin Jefferson. San Francisco liked him a lot. They thought Brendan Ayuk was a better fit for the system. So when he was there at 34, the Colts jumped all over him. And why not? He's a big-body receiver. I think he's going to work well with Phillip Rivers. I think he's a guy who is quickly going to move into a starting role for the, uh, for the Colts. And he immediately improves the receiver position, which was an area of need. Jonathan Tell at the top of round two, I thought they may go with Cole Komet to fill the void at uh, a tight end. But Jonathan Taylor was the higher rated player. And why not? <laughs> I mean, uh, he is a downhill, grinded out type of uh, 
ball carrier that can pick up big chunks of yardage with his ability to beat defenders into the open field and run to daylight. Uh, I mean, you said it right with that offensive line. I think Jonathan Taylor just can't wait to, uh, to, to get to work. And I think eventually he's going to unseat Marlon Mack as the uh, starting running back in Indianapolis. One pick in each of the next three rounds for the Colts. In the third round, they went with Utah safety Julian Blackman. In the fourth, Washington quarterback Jacob Eason. And in the fifth, Ball State offensive lineman Danny Pinter. We'll start with Blackman here. Uh, they ditched his decline Malik Hooker, his fifth-year option, the first-round pick from several years ago. Julian Blackman has played corner, has played safety, but he's 187 pounds. That's small even for a free safety, even for a guy you just planned on roaming center field. And he's also kind of an average athlete. So I, I kind of question this pick in terms of what Indianapolis is going to get. Yes, they get a versatile player who's pretty good, but you know, I, I don't know that the upside is that high to take him in the top 100. Jacob Eason, though, I mean, the upside theoretically is through the roof on him just based on his size and his arm strength and what he's able to do. Just hasn't played a lot of football the last several years after leaving Georgia when he lost his job to Jake Fromm. Was very inconsistent this year for Washington. But again, a guy who could sit behind Phillip Rivers and, and kind of learn a little bit, and that might you know help him grow into a better NFL player than he was a college player. Danny Pinter, former tight end, just like we said about Ben Barch earlier, is a good athlete. He's probably going to move inside to guard at the NFL level, but once he adds some strength and some bulk, I mean, this is a really high upside pick in the fifth round for an offensive lineman that I don't think many expected to be there that late. You know, Blackman is a guy who I've liked since his sophomore season. I could see the makings there of an NFL prospect, but I just liked him as a last day uh, selection. I, I liked him as a bottom half of, la of uh, day three selection. Uh, you know, I, I understand why the Colts like him. He's a versatile guy. You can use him at free safety. You can line him up over the slot receiver. Uh, and he's not going to be a liability. We've talked time and time again about how more and more teams are playing three safeties, putting three safeties on the field. And I think Blackman uh, can do the job, no problem. I just wonder about him in round three. Jacob Eason, I think this is the perfect situation for Jacob Eason. Doesn't have to play right away. Can sit behind a seasoned professional like Philip Rivers. Really moves into a professional organization with a great coach in Frank Reich. Eason has shown a lot of inconsistency. He hasn't played a lot of football. He's got a bit of uh, – he, he's a bit arrogant for a guy that really hasn't done that much on the college field, and he's got to get it together. But I think this is the perfect situation for him. Uh, Danny Pinter in round five, in time, that can be a godsend. I mean, that can be a guy who just really takes the – what is already a good offensive line to the next level. Glowinkowski has uh, got two more years left on his uh, contract. Pinter in round five. I could see him being a starter by the, start, by the uh, beginning of the 2021 season, which would make Glowinkowski, I apologize, Glowinkowski expendable. Now, four picks in the sixth round for Indy to round out their draft. Penn State defensive tackle Robert Windsor, UMass cornerback Isaiah Rogers, Washington State receiver Desmond Patman, and Michigan safety linebacker, whatever you want to call him, Jordan Glasgow. Um, you know, Windsor is an explosive guy. Um, you know, he's going to fit right in behind DeForest Buckner on the depth chart. He's really high motor, can penetrate the backfield. It's going to be perfect for him in a rotational role. I mean, he can just go hard on every single play when he's out there in limited snaps. Uh, Rogers, small guy, good ball skills. He's a very good returner. It'll be interesting to see if Indy kind of picked him up. Now, strictly for that, not sure how they feel about Naheem Hines returning and punts and kicks anymore, especially if he's going to have a role as a pass catcher on offense. You know, a little bit more Philip Rivers loves to throw to his backs. But Rogers, interesting pick there. I wasn't necessarily expecting him to go. Um, Patman, I mean, this is a guy 6'4", 228 pounds. 
but he's an athlete. I mean, he ran a four, four, eight, um, you know, he's explosive as well, wins in contested situations. My thing is he's a bit raw in his route running could use some work there and, you know, kind of some development, but a guy in the sixth round, just another trait based bet. And Glasgow was actually the third of three consecutive picks for the Colts. He's only 220 pounds. They have him listed on the depth chart as an outside linebacker. Be interesting to see what kind of role he really has on defense. They might've made this pick strictly for special teams and depth because he is intense. He is hard hitting. Doesn't really have the speed that you might want for a 220 pound defender. But I mean, this is a guy who really plays the game of football hard and will at least be a demon on special teams. Two or three years down the road, I'm going to step out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that people are going to be wondering why Robert Windsor was not a second-day pick in the 2020 draft. There is just so much I've consistently loved about this guy, and I never knew why. I could never understand why. He was so underrated or underappreciated, is the better term, in the scouting community. He's got decent size. He's athletic, ran the four nines at the combine. He's explosive. You watch his film. He's incredibly quick. He's a guy with a nonstop motor. I mean, consistently making plays. It's got to get a little bit stronger, but that will come in time. And, you know, I, I think Robert Windsor is a, someone who will be the number five defensive lineman early in his career at Indianapolis and then eventually develop into a starter and sign a huge second-year deal. And about that time, people are going to start to ask, why wasn't this guy uh, a day two pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Isaiah Rogers, the corner, he's an athlete. He's got, he's got average size. You're basically bringing him in because of his return skills. He's super fast. He's got to brush off his uh, cover skills. I think it's a long shot for him to make the uh, active roster. Same thing with their last two picks. Desmond uh, Patman, sort of like Rogers in the sense that he has the size that Rodgers uh, doesn't have, but he's fast, he's explosive, he's a good athlete that has to learn to be a, uh, a football player. Jordan Glasgow, I could see uh, Glasgow making it as a backup linebacker in the Colts system because that's what he's going to be at the next level. He's going to be a 4-3 outside linebacker. He doesn't have the speed to play safety. Some would question whether he has the speed to play a linebacker, but he's explosive, he's fierce, he's very intense, plays with a nasty attitude. And like you said, this could be something – situation where they brought this guy in to be a backup linebacker but primarily a uh, special teams player on coverage units now a couple udfas of note for the colts they had a lot of picks so you know generally teams with a lot of picks don't bring in high profile udfas just because there's limited roster space a uh, kendall coleman out of syracuse a bit small for a defensive end at 257 pounds not quite the athlete to make up for the lack of size but he is a guy who's explosive off the line of scrimmage as a pass rusher and rodrigo blankenship the kicker out of Georgia, I mean, Adam Vinatieri has moved on. Chase McLaughlin's currently holding down that role for the Colts. A blanket ship, like many kickers, obviously a former soccer player, but has a strong, accurate leg and should be able to push McLaughlin and, and possibly end up even as the Colts' starting kicker at some point. You know, Coleman is a type of defensive end that the uh, Colts have always liked. Undersized, but explosive and very intense. And, you know, with uh, Ture and, and Houston there, guys who are not known as uh, – Players who always have the motor running. I mean, uh, Kendall Coleman could be a surprise uh, undrafted free agent who will pair eventually pair up with Ben Benagu, the uh, last year's second-round choice. Uh, I like Brandon Wellington of Washington, another terrific 3-4 outside linebacker prospect. Fast, explosive, a three-down defender. I thought he was underappreciated uh, in the scouting ranks. And then Chris Williams of Wagner, a guy who uh, – I don't think he played as well at the Shrine game as many were hoping, but when you watch the film, Chris Williams is a guy that was impossible to stop. He's got good size. He's got a great first step. 
I think he's going to compete. It depends and see how many uh, defensive linemen, specifically defensive tackles, that the, uh, the Colts keep. He could surprise as their fourth defensive tackle if they're looking for a guy with upside and they're looking to save some money on, on some of the veterans. Moving on to the final team in the division here, and that is the Houston Texans, who have been pretty much unanimously panned for the offseason that they had, uh, you know, strictly the DeAndre Hopkins trade to Arizona, where they got back David Johnson and a second round pick. And that second rounder was the first pick they had in this year's draft because their first round pick went to Miami as part of the Laramie Tunzel trade last year. Now, that's one they probably don't regret. With that second round pick, though, they selected TCU defensive tackle Ross Blacklock. And in the third round, they got Florida edge rusher Jonathan Grenard. Blacklock, a bit small at 290 pounds for a nose tackle, which is what you know we're looking at in the Texans' defensive scheme. But he's explosive and he's disruptive off the line of scrimmage. I do kind of question the fit, but I don't question the player. Uh, Grenard, average athlete, but he was very productive both at Louisville and at Florida. He's a very polished rusher, both inside and outside. Got counter moves. He has a wide array of pass rush moves. Um, you know, as a third round pick with Grenard, it's it's a decent pick. I mean, I. I Anybody who has pass rush capability and can be even a rotational rusher at the NFL level deserves late day two consideration. But I'm, I'm a little unsure of how his athleticism is going to play at the NFL level and whether it's going to kind of allow him to use that vast array of moves effectively. You know, uh, Bill O'Brien gets a lot of grief, understandably so, for some of the things he's done, some of the trades he's made and players he's given away. I actually thought overall the Houston Texans did well. I like the pick of uh, – Ross Blacklock. There was some talk he could go late first round. I thought, you know, early second round is where he should have gone. It's a situation where even though they play a three-man front, I mean, Whitney Mer- Merciless is usually lined up, at, over, standing up over tackle. So it's more of a, a three-man three men and a down lineman and one guy standing up. So I think Blacklock uh, is actually could be a, a solid fit. He's got a high upside. He's just got to get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. Uh, but he's an explosive athlete. Renard is a real good football player. He's a real good pass rusher. He's not a great athlete, but you're looking at him, you know, late in the third round from a team that's been in the playoffs, what, the last three or four years, you're looking at him as a situational pass rusher, which is exactly the way they're going to use him. And if they design schemes for him, so uh, opponents cannot exploit that lack of athleticism, I think Renard will do well. Now, just three more picks for Houston in this year's draft, two of them in the fourth round, UNC offensive tackle Charlie Heck and Penn State cornerback John Reed. Then they went with Rhode Island wide receiver Isaiah Coulter in round five. Now, Heck is the guy who played left tackle in college. He's really more of a small area blocker, though, listed as a guard on the Houston depth chart, which is probably where he'll land at the NFL level. Just had less upside, I feel like, not even just physically, than a lot of the other players available. Struggled at the senior bowl, didn't really stand out there. So I was a little surprised to see him go just outside the top 125. John Reed is a little bit small, good athlete who can play the ball, um, but kind of a project. I know a lot of people were high on him, but I think there's a lot of work to do in terms of rounding out Reed's game so that he can be an effective sub-package corner. My favorite pick out of the third day picks that the Texans made was actually Isaiah Coulter. He's a guy with good size, but he ran under 4.5 at the combine. He's a bit raw as a route runner, wasn't as productive as his less athletic teammate Aaron Parker at Rhode Island, but this is a guy who's young. He entered the draft early to the surprise of many. A lot of people didn't expect him to be an early entry, but he did. He's a bit younger. He's a bit raw again, but there is upside here in terms of that size-speed combo, and, and he also is pretty productive for the Rams this past season. I could absolutely see Coulter making it uh, as a sixth receiver if they keep six receivers on the active roster. Go back to that Virginia Tech film 
where uh, Rhode Island kept that game pretty close, and Coulter was the standout on offense uh, throughout that game. Charlie, I would agree with you with both Heck and Reed. Taken earlier than I thought. Reed, I, I just never saw it with Reed. I saw a guy who was a decent athlete but was in a very average cor uh, cover corner. Heck was well-liked within the scouting community, much more so than I liked him. I think the thing with Heck is, you know, when you got uh, starting tackles like Laramie Tunzel, who's going to be there for a while, Titus Howard, who you used a first-round pick on, you're looking at Heck maybe as a guard, but I think more as anything else as a swing backup tackle. That's not going to cost you a whole heck of a lot of money because he played left tackle at UNC. He's got potential at right tackle. You know, as you said, maybe a guard. I, regardless, I think you're looking at him as your, you know, your, your number six or seven offensive lineman that can be used in the backup position uh, at several positions. Usually a team with only five picks would make some big splashes uh, after the draft because, again, there are roster spots available. I don't really see that with what Houston did. Uh, they did pick up Old Miss running back Scotty Phillips, who was a good college back. He's stout. He's 5'8", but he's 209 pounds. Uh, he's quick between the tackles, but he's overall just a limited athlete with limited receiving capabilities. So that equals limited upside at the NFL level. And then Ozuya Alufahai is a defensive tackle who started off his career at Kennesaw State, ended up missing the 2018 season with a lower body injury, and he didn't get a medical redshirt. So he had to actually drop down to West Georgia, um, drop down a division to keep playing and you know, keep himself on the NFL radar. And he, and he did just that. He's a gap occupier. Technique is a little bit raw playing at smaller schools. I uh, played just one year of football before uh, college. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done with him, but I think he's a good practice squad stash. who definitely fits what the uh, Texans are looking to do on defense. You know, he was a guy who just flashed dominance at times during Shrine game practice. He is a big man that can be impossible to stop. He's more of a uh, gap occupier, uh, and he's going to fit as a nose tackle. I think what he's got to do is he's got to learn to bend his knees and block more with and play with leverage on a more consistent basis because what happens is if you watch the film, at times he gets too upright, which really negates any size and power advantage that he has. They signed two interesting uh, offensive linemen, Alex Wad Woodworth of North Texas, who was an explosive tackle, who was highly rated coming into the season, who really showed flashes of two during 2019, but never put it together. I could see him making a practice squad as I could with uh, Cordell Iguugu of uh, TCU, a very athletic guard, guy, uh, another Shrine Game participant. He's incredibly uh, sound with his mechanics, blocks with great uh, knee bend and leverage. Someone who wasn't graded by scouts coming into the season, wasn't well known, did get that uh, Shrine Game invite, and someone who I think is absolutely destined for the practice squad. And that's it for the 136th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. And we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back Friday to break down the NFC South for you. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Trapone. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.